Church, our reading is James 5, 7 through 12. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the, of the soil, being patient about it, until he gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This is the living word of God for us today. Let me add my welcome to everyone else's. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we, we remind our, our congregation of that in, in light of uh, visitors that may be here from Easter weekend or visiting at this time. Um, the guy who taught last week, Rob Sweet, is teaching pastor, and then I'm a teaching pastor alongside of Rob. You know, we have two congregations, Brentwood and Franklin, so we rotate back and forth. We were debriefing, this is probably, you know, it's been several weeks now, uh, debriefing spring breaks uh, as, a, as a leadership team a while back. And Rob uh, was uh, telling us about he and Jody being in uh, Disney World over spring break and how much fun they had with the girls. Uh, of course, it's being spring break means it was really crowded. So, you know, it's, it's long lines and all that. I'm not a big Disney, I've not been a ton. I've been one time and that's the only reason I know about this really. But you know, when it's crowded like that and you gotta wait in line uh, for all the rides, you can use the Disney Fast Pass, right? You know what the Fast Pass is? Those of you who've been there, uh, you know, and they tweak this thing constantly. But you know, you go to the ride and it's like 11 in the morning and there's an hour and a half wait. Well, you can get the Fast Pass. It says, come back at 1.20. And you just go straight to the front of the line. It's like being at a restaurant and you're sitting there and you're thinking, gosh, you know, it's got a 45 minute wait. Let's go ahead and sit here. And then someone walks in the door and goes straight in and sits down. Why? Because they have a reservation for that time and they move to the front of the line. Helping people avoid waiting is big business, literally. Um, some of you who travel a lot, you may be familiar with Clear. Uh, they don't have it at Nashville Airport, but at most major hubs, they have got this clear process by which you can you know, give them a scan of your eye and thumbprint, blood work. I don't know what all you give them, but you give it all, you know, and they hold it, but it enables you to go on planes just like in the old days. You just go through, basically. You don't have any of this TSA stuff, take your shoes off, anything like that. It's faster than pre-check uh, with TSA, uh, clear, by the way, I read an article on them and they're moving beyond airports. You know, that's kind of their entree into the space. But now they've moved into sports venues. So, you know, they're gonna be at sports and concert venues all over the country so that, you know, if the Preds were still in it and it was raining and there was a long line to get in because of security, if you had your clear pass, you just bypass every line at a sporting event, a concert, whatever that may be. You don't have to wait. 
It's probably a bit in hyperbole, but I don't think far off to say waiting is almost like our modern day leprosy. Avoid it at all costs. And we spend money to avoid waiting. We use apps on our phone, right? You gotta use Waze, you know, you kind of get up to Nashville. I had no idea I could get to Nashville this way, but it takes you around all the traffic. You didn't have to, you didn't have to wait. Or you spend money on the, the pre-board. So again, you, you spend money so you don't have to wait in line to get on a plane. James, as we're landing this plane, pun intended, uh, coming to the end of the book, um, he is gonna remind us and gonna tell us that God's view of waiting is way different than our own. Far from being something avoided at all costs, James is gonna tell us that waiting is absolutely essential to our spiritual maturity and to God's blessings. I mean, far from avoid it, he really invites us to embrace it, and he shows us how. Now, Carthy read the passage. We're gonna go back through it slowly. Uh, it's got a, a main command, and this is how I wanna break out the text this morning. There's a primary command, if you will, and we'll look at it. It mentions it three times. And then he gives us three examples. So here's the command. Then he says, let me give you three examples you can follow related to this command. So stick with me. If your Bibles aren't open, please go there. James chapter five. Uh, we've only got two or three, maybe two or three more weeks here in James and we will be through the book. We're probably about week 18 right now. We pick up this text in verse seven and the heading for this is the primary command. James writes, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And when we're teaching through books of the Bible as we do, we're not just you know, trying to give you all the information, but we're always trying to say, how do we study our Bibles and what do we look for? And this particular paragraph begins with a very important word, therefore. And so as I unpack this and we say, well, what does this mean? And then what does it mean for us today? That first word tells us whatever we say, okay, whatever we're gonna say this verse means that we're in today, it has to do with what just came before it, okay? Therefore, James says, in light of what I just said, and so we've gotta reach back to that. I'll do it with a quick summary. Rob taught this three weeks ago now with the Easter break, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter breaks in there. Um, therefore is verses one through five. And in those verses, what we found is that there were uh, landowners, um, there were merchants, people of wealth, probably not Christians, who were taking advantage of their employees. So they were not being paid well. They're not being paid appropriately. It was wrong how they were being treated. And so what we can bring into our text today is, we can bring this question, you know, what do you do when you've been treated unjustly? 
What do you do when you don't get what you've earned, what you deserve, what's rightly yours? What do you, what do, you do when life throws you a curveball and now you're going, this is not right? What do you do? Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. He says it three times in just these first two verses of our text. Be patient is the primary command. It's two Greek words, macro, which means long or far, and thumos, which means passion, uh, heat, or rage. You are a long-burning person. <laughs> You're a slow burner. From, for you to go from calm and collected and curious to, da, 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 you know, and if you've lost your cool, it's a long, slow burn. Long suffering is, is, the, is the way many Bible translations will have it. It's worth noting that when we are impatient, okay, so when, when we're not patient, it's interesting that he tells us that it's gonna show up many times in how we talk to one another. We're gonna complain to each other. Or verse 12, we're gonna add words to our yes and our no, which we need not do. And I don't think this is, this is not insignificant and it's certainly no surprise because from James 1 all the way till now, how many times has James said, watch your tongue? So it's like no surprise that impatience, when you and I are not patient, that it's gonna be reflected in our words, in things that we say. Lisa had trouble with her car. It's probably been over a month now. And um, we were at Brentwood and we'd finished the services, the third service over there and we were leaving. And of course, we came in two cars because I'm, I'm, I'm there early. But went out to her car, she goes, my car won't start. Went out there and, and the battery was deader than dead. Like it was just, and it's a new, new battery. It's not that old. It's less than eight months old. And it's just dead. And so we jump it and we're, you know, and I, and I, um, we're starting to go and we're thinking about going to grab something for lunch. And uh, for some reason, I, I, I Googled something because I could hear the fan motor doing something weird. And basically it made me think, we, we need to not turn this thing off because what happens is these fan motors run, there's a flaw and they run till the battery's dead. I mean, you turn the car off, walk away. Cause I turned the car off after we started it and the fan was still running. And I go, that's not right. So we said, let's take it to the, to the, to the dealer. So we took it to the dealership and I know, you know, I'm like you, you know, I'd rather take it somewhere else, but this one, I, I feel like we need to take it to the dealer and, you know, it's gonna mean more money at the dealership. Um, a few days later, I got, the guy got back with me and said, yeah, you got a problem with this fan. Um, uh, they, it, it, they fixed it. Um, a week later, something else was wrong that wasn't wrong before I took it. So I take it back, you know, and I'm a little like, doggone it. You know, I take it back. This is all happening within two weeks and, and I leave it there and the guy calls me back and he says, yeah, he says, you got, a, you got this problem now with this other thing and um, I, I kid you not, and you guys do this, you know, we all live here and you gotta get cars fixed. It, it was, the, the, the repair was 25% of the value of the car. And you're just kind of going, oh my gosh, you know, whatever. He says, yeah, you're gonna have to do this, whatever. And I said, well, here's the thing. I said, you know, I didn't have this problem till you fixed the other problem. And he and I began to go, the, the temperature was rising, the fuse was burning, you know, and I'm just like, you know, just about to go crazy 
uh, with this guy and I said some things I probably didn't need to say for sure. I do that and, and I just tell that story to go, you know, um, it's so true that when, when challenged to be patient, when life, these things happen in life, right? That it will often, my impatience will often be reflected in my words, in the words that I say. Which if that's, if impatience is often reflected in the words we say, we just can't stop ourselves. I can't stop myself and I say it. Think of the flip side of that, y'all. That patience will often be evidenced by what we don't say. That when you're patient and you're living patiently with something or someone, it's probably that you don't say certain things. Now, now track with me on my logic on this. So I, if, I, if I don't say something, then I'm probably not gonna get credit for being patient. So I think I'm gonna say something, <laughs> which now I'm no longer patient. <laughs> but I say that to say, um, patience is generally holding your tongue when someone's misunderstanding you, misrepresenting you, you know what I'm saying? Treating you wrong, you choose not to respond. It's not like someone's gonna go, you're so patient by not saying anything. No, the patience is reflected in the fact that I don't say something. And I'm telling you guys, and I tell that, that car story for this reason, it is virtually impossible for me not to say something because I want them to know, right? And, and I come back to Christ and we just celebrated Easter and Good Friday some week ago and think about the Lord Jesus Christ, about who's been misunderstood, mistreated, uh, misspoken of, and he, and he did not respond. I'm telling you, in order for you and I not to respond when misunderstood, when, when impatience is just raging to come off our tongue, it's impossible, you can't do it apart from the spirit who lives in us. The spirit of Christ who held his tongue, his very spirit in us can enable you and I to hold ours as well. Well, there's the, the great principle, be patient, the primary principle, then the three examples, very quickly and easy to understand, really. He goes into these three examples. The first is be patient like the farmer. So here's the first one, be patient like the farmer. Uh, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Now, patient like the farmer. We're not agrarian, uh, but let's, you know, be patient like the gardener. It, it, it's, you know, we understand the principles here. Uh, wait, he begins with this, you know, the farmer waits for the early and late rains. The early rains would have been those rains that soften the soil. Oh, it's easier to plow when it's been softened. The late rains are those rains that come after the crop has come up and it makes the grain full and plump. And this was like clockwork for them. And they all understood this. Oh yes, you gotta wait for the early and the late rains. The word wait is ek dekomai. Ek dekomai, it's ek. Ek means out. Um, dekomai uh, means to receive, to re out to receive. What's the thought here? It's this, it's what's beyond you, okay? What's out there, you receive it as if it's yours now. You wait, you're waiting here. The thought and idea on this is, see, biblical waiting is not like, oh gosh, okay, 
Oh my God, okay. That's not biblical waiting. Biblical waiting is what I'm waiting for, I trust is mine now. What I'm waiting for, I trust in, God's timing will be mine. I trust that I can rest here, though what I need or want or desire is out there. I can trust and rest that it is mine and it's certainly mine in Christ. It's not frustrated, you know, resignation. It's confident expectation. Now think about this. When, you know, back in the 2010 flood, some of you weren't here, those of us who were, um, you know, how many of us stayed up, stayed awake at night, you know, with that flood rising, you know, we're trying to keep the water out of our houses or off the streets, whatever. How many of us stayed up at night worrying about how we could stop the rain? Nobody. This summer, when, when your new grass that you got in last fall or this spring comes up all nice and pretty and in July, August, September, it browns out because of the drought, how many of you are gonna stay up at night going, what can I do to make it rain tomorrow? You know, we don't do that, why? Why don't we do that? What do we know? Can't. So I wanna suggest, I'm gonna give you three principles out of these, three illustrations. The first one would be this. If we're gonna strengthen our hearts with patience, like the farmer, we need to recognize and own the fact, I can't make it rain. I can't make it rain. There, there are circumstances, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care how powerful you could be, you can't make it rain. And the farmer knows that. The farmer does what he can do, right? But he doesn't, he, he doesn't attempt to do what he can't do. And therefore he can rest and wait patiently in God for God to do what only he can do. So patience begins with a recognition and acceptance of what you cannot do. I cannot make it rain. Then it's gonna go to another cannot here in a moment. It says, be patient like the prophets. Here's the second example, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophet. What was the role of the prophet in the Old Testament? It was a truth teller. He would, he would, you know, there's God who has a message for his people. His people are moving right toward the edge of the cliff. They're gonna ah, fall off and die. And God sends a prophet to say, hey, you guys, stop. Do this instead. That was the role of the prophet in, in simple terms. But what did the prophets in the Old Testament generally get because they carried God's message of good for God's people. What did the prophets really most often get for delivering that message? Tell me. Persecution, what else? Death. Let's see, death, persecution. That's pretty comprehensive. They got, that's generally what they got. And you notice when he says this here as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. You know, he didn't just say, you know, as another example of patience, take the, no, he said of suffering and patience because they suffered for speaking the truth. Do you and I think that you and I are on the planet with a message that God has given us and that in telling that message, you and I won't suffer in some ways? Because we're just like the prophets in the sense of God has saved us. If you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, 
and you believe what Christ did, he did for you. The spirit of God indwells you. The spirit of Christ indwells you, the Holy Spirit, and empowers us to go now and tell other people about Jesus. Eric mentioned it. Our mission as a church is to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And we dare not think we're gonna do that without some resistance or pushback, whatever it may be. And there's a second principle I think the prophets give us when we think of them in this context. And that's you and I will only grow in patience when we recognize and accept, I can't change a heart. Patience is really about, in part, being aware and recognizing what you can't do. I cannot make it rain. Now, I can plant the seed, but I cannot make it rain in a similar vein. I cannot change this person's heart regardless of the truth I may say, including the truth of the gospel. We carry the message. We do not hold responsibility for the changed heart. So y'all, when there are people in your life, a boss who treats you poorly, a friend who's betrayed you, a child you love so dearly you would do anything for, but every time you say something to them, they hear it a different way and they put you off and they stiff arm you and move the other direction. A spouse who refuses to engage and, and, and seek some recovery from an addiction to pornography or work or alcohol, whatever it may be, an improper relationship. Someone you've been telling Christ about for many years and they just stonewall you. And it almost seems like you know they're getting further from Christ rather than closer. In all those situations, patience, okay, to wait and be patient would be to continue to speak the truth, but also recognize I cannot change their heart. And you see, when you and I rest in that, uh, we don't come up with more words. You know, you know, we don't like rev it up to go, well, I've gotta get this right. You know, you gotta, you know, we don't, we, we step back from that and we rev it down and we trust God, you're sovereign. I'm gonna still speak the truth. But only God can change the heart. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like a prophet. And he says, be patient like Job. Like Job. Look at verse 11. You know, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard, listen, they're so familiar with this story. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Now notice what the outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job are. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, many of us know the story of Job. You know, it's one of those iconic stories in the Bible. Many of us don't. It's okay. But Job uh, was a man, the Bible says, was more righteous than all men. And, and it's a fascinating story in which the devil comes to God and says, I, I don't think he really would follow you if you weren't so good to him. Let me, let me deal with him and you'll see that he'll reject you. And God gives permission and Within hours one day, you all, Job, one of the wealthiest men, if not the wealthiest in the world when, this was, when that was written, he loses everything, including 10 children. So, so this is not like, you know, he lost his camels and his livestock and his land. No, he lost all of that and he lost his children. The Bible says through it all, Job did not sin or blame God. You know, that was the, that's the phrase where he says, you know, naked I came from, naked I will go. It's like, wow. Well, then Satan comes to God again and says, well, you know, that was just his stuff. Let me make him sick and, and you'll, you'll see what's in his heart. 
God gave him permission. Job has got sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, thinks he got the scrape. I mean, you can't fathom the physical, uh, you know, pain and suffering that Job was in. Um, and this time, when you read the story, it's interesting. Job gets testy. Uh, Job lets God have it, you know, with some of the, that's going on. Uh, Job's friends are, you know, giving him bad advice, quite frankly. But uh, the scripture, you know, we're gonna go with what the scripture says, and it indicates that Job never turned from faith in God, even in the midst of this. William Barclay says it this way. He says, the great fact about Job is that in spite of all his torrent of agonizing questions, which tore at his heart, he never lost faith in God. Job 13, 15, Job says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job 19, 25, Job says, I know that my redeemer lives. Uh, the farmer reminds us, okay, I cannot make it rain. There are circumstances in life, y'all, you, you don't have control over. You cannot make it rain. Secondly, the prophet reminds us, you cannot change the human heart. And now what, what about this Job example? I wanna suggest that it's telling us patience requires that we recognize and accept we cannot explain God's ways. We cannot explain God's ways. You know, patience is required generally when your expectation meets God's plan. That's one way to see it. I had an expectation, it ran into God's plan, which one's gonna stand? Which one's gonna survive this? I need patience. Why did James choose Job of all people? We, we don't know exactly, but when the story itself, I think gives us possibly some hints and it may be this because Job, he waited patiently, but he did not wait perfectly. And neither will you or I, right? It's not, it's not like we're gonna wait perfectly. I mean, Job lost it and it's okay. And think of, the, think of the Psalms. I mean, there's a psalmist expresses their frustration to God. The point is patience means waiting honestly and faithfully. That's what biblical patience will look like. You're gonna wait honestly. You're not gonna deny any part of your heart. Remember, I mean, it's wholehearted, you all. That means thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. All that we are, I bring to this frustratingly difficult time where patience is required and I can bring all of that to God and remain faithful. Remain faithful. I may not even, it won't be perfect patience. I promise you it won't be perfect patience because you and I cannot do anything perfectly. Christ himself did all of that on our behalf. Now, here's what's interesting Job never answers, or, or God never answers Job's questions. In, verse, in chapters 38 to 41, it's, it, it's, an, it's an amazing read. God takes those chapters and puts Job in his place and puts himself in his place. So God is in his place and Job is in his place after those chapters. And Job's response to this is Job, 
42, five and six. My ears had heard of you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. Think about what this means. It means that Job, Job never got an explanation for all of this horrendous life and circumstances. But what he did get was a greater revelation of God and who he is. That's what happened. And I want us to think about this. Do you, are you gonna demand an answer? I mean, would it be really worth it to demand an answer of God and get it? Or would you rather receive a greater revelation of the fullness of all that God is? I think the questions just fade away if we consider what Job received, which you and I will receive, which is encapsulated in that last phrase in verse 11 the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. That's what Job came to at the end. And he came to it in such a way that he would say, you know, I kinda knew that, now I know it. Now I know it. Now I know it. I see it. I cannot explain why you can't get pregnant or you had a miscarriage or the job's not coming or the child is gone or the marriage is falling apart or why you have the disease, why you were mistreated, why justice is not being served. I cannot explain it and the truth is neither can you. And I often hear, I've heard myself say this and I wanna catch myself now, but I hear others say this as well. You know, life is difficult and hard and oftentimes we'll say, I'm gonna have so many questions for God when I get there. You go through a difficult time and go, I'm gonna ask God why this happened. And what I want to say to you on the basis of scripture, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I don't find anywhere in the Bible that says God will one day answer all your questions. You know, it just doesn't say that, you know? I mean, but we act like we can. We act like we're gonna go to heaven and go, God, I really wanna know why. But the Bible doesn't promise an answer to all of our questions. What the Bible promises, and I think it's summarized well here in James, is that there will come a day, you all, we'll see Jesus face to face, we'll be in God's presence forever, and in that moment, something's gonna be so Clear. I mean, it's just gonna be so overwhelming to us. And it'll be this. Oh God, you are full of compassion and mercy. That's what we're gonna know for sure. Not the answer to all of life's questions. Isaiah, said, Isaiah 55 says it this way, 55, eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts as God speaking, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. At the end, what will be abundantly clear is God's compassion and mercy is more than we, immeasurably more as they sang well, we'll stop here with this final thought. God issues 
no fast passes in life. I can't give you one. He will not give you one. Here's the fast pass. You can bypass this. Come back later. You don't have to wait. No. Mm -mm. We'll wait. And do you notice that the waiting, this is so fundamental. I, I, I want you just to hear this. Do you notice that fundamentally that all the waiting is based upon the nearness of the Lord's return? Don't, don't miss this. I didn't skip it. In verse seven, he states the fact of the Lord's return. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then in verses eight and nine, he states the nearness of the Lord's return. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Absolutely fundamental to biblical waiting. The conviction, not just that the Lord's coming, but he's right there. If they felt that then, how much more must we? When I was in the fifth grade, we had moved from Hanau, Germany to Fort Knox, Kentucky. I'm an army brat. And uh, I, I realized when I started thinking about this story that I told you all a story of a second grade Lloyd. And you, you, this story might add to that to the point you go, how did that kid ever get out of elementary school with all this going on in his life? But I was in fifth grade. We came to Fort Knox and um, I was there on my first day of school. And I had Mrs. Morgan don't remember many of my teachers, but I remember Mrs. Morgan, an older lady, probably been teaching forever. You know, one of those teachers, like they're, they're prehistoric and they just keep going. And, uh, and Mrs. Morgan, I go my first day of class, you know, military schools, a lot of new kids, whatever, but it's my first day. And so she asked me to do a math, write a math problem on the board. We were working on division. And uh, I went up on the board and I wrote down this problem as, you know, it's just, I'm just doing it how I, I was taught when I was in Germany, which is, you know, military schools, et cetera. And um, before I could go back to my seat, she had me stand in front of the class and she turned to the class and she said, class, is that how we do division? And the whole class, you know, 20 kids go, no, Mrs. Morgan, that's not how we do division, you know? And I just, you know, I'm just like, and I'm just bawling, bawling, you know, going back to my chair, sit down in my chair, I'm crying. And um, I, I remember, you know, just, Losing it, you know, your kid. I, I wasn't super secure, you know. Some kids, you know, would react differently, but I certainly I did not. And uh, I spent that day just miserable. At lunch, I couldn't even go in the th the, the um, I couldn't go in the cafeteria, and so they sent me into the principal's office, not out of meanness, but just go, well, you can eat in here, you know. And so I ate in there, uh, waiting for the end of that day. Now, my dad, when um, we would go to a new army base, he would always take me to school the first day. Now, I'm the youngest of three. I don't know if he did this with my brother and sister. Maybe not, I don't know, but he'd take me to school. So I'd have to ride the bus. You know, new day, dad's gonna take you. And so he took me to school and he always had a speech, so to speak, he gave me when we go to school. And he would say, Lloyd, if anything happens at school today, um, you tell me and I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, if anything happens to you, so to speak. And my dad has always been that way. And you know, I, I know people take different views on this, like, you know, but I take my dad's view and we did this with our own kids that, you know, I believe my kid. I know, I know he could lie or whatever, but I'm taking my, I'm, I'm there to, I'm, I got my kids back, you know. 
And then if I find out they're lying, I do have their, I have their literal back, right? If they're lying about it. But I have my kids back. My dad just said that. He said, I've, you know, I'm gonna take care of you, you tell me. So all through that day, I knew in my head, y'all, I knew dad's coming. <laughs> you know, he's coming to get me because he picked me up at school. And so when my dad came, you know, how was your day at school? <laughs> you know, and everything just pours out of a little kid. And he said, okay. And so he, we went back to school and we went to the office and uh, I'm sitting outside and he's gonna have a conference, you know, that moment with Ms. Morgan and the principal. And, you know, when I told this story a couple weeks ago, Lisa said, Lord, I don't think you need to say that about your dad. And I go, well, I can't, I can't help it. I got, this is who my dad was. But he could cuss, man. I mean, like beautifully. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know how there are some people who cuss and you go, you're just a rank amateur. You know, that, you, that doesn't even belong. I hate to say, you know what I mean. He could do it and it was just like normal. It was so good. And he went in there and uh, I'm out. I didn't hear him or anything, but I just, I, and this is, I'm not exaggerating with you. Me and Ms. Morgan were fine the rest of the year, you know? I mean it as I recall it. And I only say that story to say, can you, can you believe that in your moments of frustration, impatience, things have not gone the way they have? Could you imagine living in that moment with the knowledge and the deep conviction that before you open your mouth, Jesus could show up. Because that's what the Bible says. And I'm telling you, when he shows up again, he is gonna set this situation right. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, it's gonna be set right and it's gonna be set right forever. And this is like the foundation of patience. Jesus is the only one who can make it rain and make it stop raining. He's the only one who can change a heart, y'all. And if you want to have God fully explained, Jesus, Colossians tells us, fully explains God. He's our ground, for, he's our ground of patience, is he not? I want you to bow your heads and before we leave here, I'm gonna invite you to pray. I don't know what's going on in your world, but there's not a person in this room right now that's not waiting. And I wanna invite you to talk to God and bring to him what's on your heart as you wait. And it may be that you talk to God about patience and you coming to say, God, I can't make it rain or I can't change a heart or I can't explain your ways but you can trust Jesus in all these things. And I'm gonna invite you to have a conversation with God about that now. Lord Jesus, you and you only can make it rain, change a heart, and explain the ways of God. May we find our hearts more fully satisfied in you.
that patience would mark us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. I'm gonna send you out with a benediction. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. It's gonna be a familiar passage, 11 to 13. This is the New Living Translation because I love the words they choose to use. This was a promise to the nation of Israel. We know these promises are reinforced in the New Testament, therefore it's appropriate. You know, people take this promise as their own. You go, wait, that's for Israel. You shouldn't take that. No, no, we can hold this because God reaffirms it over and over, his care for us and his perfect plans. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Amen.